We turn now in God's Word to a passage that we read in part uh, last Lord's Day. We return to it tonight uh, to begin our message. It's Ezekiel chapter 28, and we'll be picking it up at verse 11. Ezekiel chapter 28, starting to read at verse 11, and then reading through verse 19 of Ezekiel chapter 28. Let us hear then the very breathed out word of God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you. I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have Come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. As far as the reading of God's word, let's again ask for God's blessing on it. Shall we pray? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do once again ask your blessing on the reading of, of your word this evening, and we also pray for uh, strength for Pastor Bob as he brings this word, that we should give him everything that he stands in need of. Father, as we contemplate something so difficult as the enemy of our souls, but, Father, uh, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And, Father, that word above every power is Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his precious name we pray. Amen. And amen. Two points tonight. First of all, Satan's fall and what that is composed of and what it is, is involved in. And then, secondly, and the demons. As we begin this journey of looking into God's word, what God teaches us, and reveals to us in his word regarding his holy angels, it is good for us to pause, first of all, to reflect upon the fact that there are also unholy beings in this world as well. Last Lord's Day, we were led to consider from God's word. It's sort of, he was, it was sort of the bridge. Uh, 
The last person with the letter L that we would consider, and that was Lucifer. And yet as we delve into God's word, we, we do not truly find that name mentioned there. And we have to be reminded then as well that there are many fanciful things that are said. Uh, many profane things, many false beliefs about Satan as well that uh, we need to be careful of and sometimes we need to be guarded in our tongue and in our speech lest we give too much credit to a being that uh, God has told us in a sense a very limited amount of about and yet has revealed to us that which we need to know so as we deal with satan's fall first of all we begin by saying he was he was that that we have to understand if we're going to talk about the fall of satan we have to understand what he was before that fall some of this we talked about last lord's day and so if you you want the CD of that, you can order that. But So some of it I'm going to go through rather quickly. Others of it I'm going to pause with. The first thing I want you to note from Ezekiel chapter 28 is the fact that he is a created being. Verse 13, on the day that you were created, Satan is a created being. He is not eternal. There are not two co-equal eternals in this world many false religions teach that they teach that somehow or another the god of good and the god of evil both the yin and the yang are both there perpetually for all of eternity it is a falsehood it is a lie it is not true only god the lord god of heaven and the earth is eternal Satan is created. Now, when is he created? Well, that reveals to us a, a difficult question, doesn't it? When is Satan created? Well, that leaves us with the question, not only is when is Satan created, but when are the angels created? They are a part of the creation. Therefore, when we go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we read that God saw all that he had made. And behold, it was very good. That conclusion of the Lord in Genesis chapter 21, in Genesis 1, has to include the creation of his angels. God, in his word, speaks pretty definite about that which happens and takes place in creation. And so we have to understand then that sometime during the creation week, angels are created. Now, when of those six days of creation? God's word does not necessarily define it for us. You will find reform authors who believe that it was on the first day. Some believe it's on the fourth day. There are even some who will say, they were made immediately prior to the creation of man on the sixth day. Now, although we don't know, it is rather interesting that throughout Scripture, there is and continue to be references between the heavenly bodies, that which we know as stars and planets, and the angels. 
And so it would appear as, as we do so, as we think about that, as we f- reflect upon that, that perhaps then the fourth day stands out as perhaps the, the clearest of all the days of creation when it would seem to fit in the creation pattern. We don't get our theology from songs, so I'm not saying this is gospel truth. But remember the hymn we sang this morning at the name of Jesus? Listen to the second verse and note the connection. It's obvious that the authors of this hymn believe it's the fourth day. At his voice, creation sprang at once to sight. All the angel faces, all the host of light. So what are put in the parallel there? The angel faces, the creation of the angels, along with the host of light. Thrones and dominations, stars upon their way. All the heavenly orders in their great array. So the hymn writer is is looking at it saying, all that deals with that which is, is beyond the planet earth itself. All that is above earth is created then in that fourth day. Now, once again, we cannot say dogmatically that is the truth, but it would seem like if we were to give an answer to a critic, that would be perhaps our best choice. He was created during the creation week. He was created as a guardian angel, a cherub. Exodus chapter, or Ezekiel chapter 28 makes that clear to us. Thirdly, he was adorned in beauty. Much of Ezekiel 28 is describing for us the beauty that Satan had in his creation. But there is one line that we, I think, often overlook in this Exodus chapter 28 passage. That, I mean, it doesn't matter which faith you come from, which background, which denomination uh, you come from. Just about everyone recognizes that these verses that I read from Ezekiel chapter 28 cannot refer to a human being. The designation of the guardian cherub tells us we're dealing with an angel, an angel who has fallen. But note verse 13. And note where this guardian cherub that falls is you were in Eden the garden of God that after just having said you were the signet of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty you were in Eden it isn't like he was in Eden after he fell The passage is telling us in the midst of his perfection, in the midst of his beauty, the place that Satan was assigned was Eden. This is where he is to be the guardian. This was his responsibility. This place that God had specifically made This garden that God had specifically created to inhabit the man and the woman. It is there that Satan is 
in his perfection. The passage never tells us of another place of location where Satan is. It doesn't talk about Satan going back and forth. It says, you were created, you were in Eden, and you were perfect there. Now, I don't know how many of you ever thought about that or, or contemplated that truth of God's Word. I would imagine most of us probably imagine that this creation that existed here up until Genesis chapter 3, when Satan appears as the serpent, was somehow the domain of only man. And that the spiritual beings, the angels, were not at all involved in this earth. Exodus or Ezekiel 28 is telling you that's not true. We probably imagine that Satan, until he fell, was in heaven. That's not what God's Word is telling you. See, we've just eliminated the, one of the great obstacles that oftentimes people encounter. Right? Here is the skeptic. If God is perfect, if heaven is perfect, how could a perfect heaven have Satan fall in it? You've probably heard the question. Maybe you've had it to you. Maybe you've contemplated it yourself. Maybe you've kind of, you know, been one of those things that kept you up at night. Let me, I gotta, let me try to think this out a minute. Heaven is supposed to be perfect, yet Satan fell in heaven. How can that be? And, and yet Pastor Bob and the Bible keep saying us heaven is this place where there's no more sin. But if there was sin there once because Satan fell, maybe there's sin there again. Oh, the subtlety of Satan's scheme. Get us to doubt the truth of God's word. But you see, our error was in the locating of where Satan is with his fall. Too many have assumed that the fall took place in glory. One day, Satan standing around the throne of God, the very throne of God, and there he is going, I think I'd like to sit on that throne. And God said, no, you won't. I'm going to cast you down. And we go, how did Satan ever sin up in heaven? Ezekiel 28 is telling you that's not where he is. He is in Eden. That is the place of responsibility. That is where he has been assigned. That's his task. That's who he was. But he became. He became one, we are told in Ezekiel chapter 28, he became filled with pride. When did that occur? Well, it has to have occurred sometime after day six, does it not? We cannot have Satan in Eden, a created being, and God saying, behold, all that I have made is very good, and that includes that Satan down there who is filled with pride. 
So the fall of Satan is not before the creation week. It is after the creation week. When? Sometime before Genesis chapter 3. How long is that? Who knows? God doesn't bother to inform us of that. But he becomes filled with pride. Why? What what is it that fills him with pride? There is something that has occurred that has unsettled this created being. Something happened. Day five, there's no fall. Day six, there's no fall. Day seven, there is no fall. But what happened on the seventh day? Nothing. God rested. Why is that significant? Because nothing else happened. Satan is in Eden. God has placed them there at his creation. God has assigned him as that guardian cherub in Eden. He is filled with all of this beauty. He's walking around this created garden that God has made. And then two other beings appear. And God says, these are now in my image. God breathes into them the breath of life. God gives them dominion over the fish, over the birds, over all the animals. God gives him control over this world. And then God did nothing. And Satan becomes filled with pride. Thinking that he should ascend to the place of God. What does that mean? It means he thinks he's got a better plan. It thinks it means that that he's got a wiser idea. That because of who he is, because of the beauty of who he is, because of the wisdom that he has, because of the knowledge that he has... There is the understanding that that what we are being told there is that Satan believes that what he possesses and the plan that he has is better than the plan that God has. He wants to ascend to the place of God. Why? Because God created These people to give them dominion. That's mine. I'm in control. You take hunks of clay. My plan is that I should.
Let's ascend to heaven. Oh, why does he need to ascend if he's already there? Hmm. Because he isn't there. Because he is already in Eden. And that fall, that change, means that he becomes less than what he was. If we go to that passage, and, and let's turn to it, we, we might as well clear up the mystery because you're all there already. Luke chapter 10, verse 18, right? Luke 10, 18. The context of Luke 10.18 is that Jesus has sent out the 72, two by two into every town, gives them instructions to go and preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, heal, cast out demons, so forth. Verse 17, the 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They're surprised. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And what do we do with the text? What we do with the text is we say this. Oh, you see, Satan was in heaven, and then he fell from heaven to earth. Now ask yourself, just look at the text. Ask yourself, is that what Jesus is saying? I saw Satan fall. Like lightning from heaven. How does lightning fall from heaven? Quickly, rapidly. How does Satan fall? Quickly, rapidly. Before what? The preaching of the gospel. When the gospel is preached, Satan falls over and over and over and over and over and over and again. The 72 are surprised. We went out preaching and guess what? Demons fled. And Jesus said, yes, of course. Satan falls whenever the gospel is preached. Whenever the kingdom is proclaimed. It is not a description of the fall of Satan in his original state. It is a description of the ongoing defeat of Satan over and over and over and over again before the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why the verbs of the passage indicate not a one-time event, but a continual, ongoing, over and over and over. Satan falls over and over and over. You might be saying, well, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have given him cake. Maybe he's on a sweetness high. I call as my support witness John Calvin. Calvin, commenting on this verse, writes, I beheld Satan. For one instance, Christ leads them to the whole class. For he commanded his gospel to be published for the very purpose of overturning Satan's kingdom. So then while the disciples rested solely on that demonstration which they had obtained from experience, 
Christ reminds them that the power and efficacy of their doctrine extends farther and that its tendency is to exteriorate the tyranny which Satan exercises over the whole human race. We have now ascertained the meaning of the words. When Christ commanded that his gospel should be preached, he did not at all attempt a matter of doubtful result, but foresaw the approaching ruin of Satan. Now since the Son of God cannot be deceived, and this exercise of his foresight relates to the whole course of the gospel, we have no reason to doubt that whenever he raises up faithful teachers, he will crown their labor with prosperous success. Now, that's Calvin commenting on Luke 10.18. Is Calvin saying anything at all about Satan's original fall? No, what he's talking about is the defeat of Satan before the gospel. I'll move on. Albert Barnes. Satan here denotes evidently the prince of the devils who has been cast out by the 70 disciples. For the discourse was respecting their power over evil spirits. Lightning is an image of rapidity or quickness. I saw Satan fall quickly or rapidly, as quick as lightning. The phrase from heaven is to be referred to the lightning and does not mean that he saw Satan fall from heaven, but that he fell as quick as lightning from heaven or from the clouds. The whole expression then may mean, I saw at your command devils immediately depart as quick as a flash of lightning. I gave you this power. I saw it forth. And I give also now, in addition to this, the power to tread upon serpents. The devil himself. And we could go on and on and on. Every, every well-thought-of commentator does not take Luke 10, 18 and describe for us Oh, this is the way Satan was in heaven and then he got filled with pride and then he fell like lightning. That's not what the text is about. Jesus is not describing that. Satan was in Eden. He became filled with pride. And he fell. He fell. This morning in our Sunday school class, I, I asked the, the group, I, I, uh, the youth, I said, so how, how, in how many different ways do we use the word fall? Well, we can talk about somebody tripping and falling, a physical fall. We can talk about a spiritual fall. We can talk about an emotional fall, right? You fall in love. You fall out of love. We talk about the fall of the year. I saw Satan fall. What? What does that mean? That, that Satan tumbled out of heaven? He, you know, God went, go Satan, and Satan comes rumbling down the clouds, and boom, 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 and he lands on the earth and does a few somersaults and then gets up, whoa, what's going on? Does it mean a physical fall or does it mean a spiritual fall that happened quickly? That there was no question that God's judgment took place in an instant. In an instant, this being filled with this wisdom, filled with this beauty, as the guardian cherub, now falls. It is taken from him. That which he was is no longer that which he has at his possession. 
He is less than what he was. He is now the adversary. He is the Satan. He is not on our side. He is not with us. He is opposed to us. He is now the deceiver. He is the devil. He is now more limited in his beauty, in his knowledge, in his power, and in his authority. God took from him that which was beauty becomes ugliness. That which was knowledge became misinformation. That which was power and authority becomes limited as a dog upon a chain is only able to exact so much. Satan fell. And in his fall, because of his pride, because of his thinking, he was wiser than God. He became less than what he was. And now exists upon this earth under condemnation. To finally end in hell and for all eternity to be tormented day and night. Revelation 20 verse 10. Peter reminds us that he does go about as a roaring lion now seeking whom he may devour, but he is limited. He does not have the abilities he used to have. He does not have the strength he used to have. God has subdued him. You need to remember that. He is not co-equal with God. But he is under the control and authority of our Heavenly Father. And he can only do that which our Heavenly Father allows him within his domain to do. And he can never go beyond his domain. He can never reach into the Father's hands and pluck us from the Father. But as we think about this fall of Satan, as he lives now under that condemnation of an eternal tormented life forever and ever, we also understand that there are other created beings as well, known as demons or fallen angels. I'd ask you to take your blue psalter hymnals for just a moment. Turn to page 74 in the back. Some things you learn long ago in a class somewhere, and then you kind of forget about them and discard them. One of the things I, I relearned in preparing for this message is that of the three doctrinal standards of the Heidelberg Catechism, the Canons of Dort, and the Belgic Confession, the Belgic Confession is the oldest. And, and it's written in the environment of a Luther. It's written in the environment of a time and age in which there was a great deal of superstition. 
about Satan and about the demonic world and about angels. Remember the, the story, the, the little quote that sometimes people have, you know, about, well, how many angels dance on the head of the pin? Okay? That was actually Roman Catholic theology. They actually debated these things. The Roman Catholic Church just absolutely hijacked God's teaching in His Word about angels. So when the Belgic Confession of Faith is written, they include these statements. It's Article 12, the creation of all things, especially the angels. We believe that the Father by the Word, that is, by His Son, has created out of nothing the heaven, the earth, and all creatures, when it seemed good unto him, giving unto every creature its being, shape, form, and several offices to serve its creator, that he also still upholds and governs them by his eternal providence and infinite power for the service of mankind to the end that man may serve his God. He also created the angels good, to be his messengers and to serve his elect, some of whom are fallen from that excellency in which God created them into everlasting perdition. And the others have, by the grace of God, remained steadfast and continued in their first state. The devils and evil spirits are so depraved that they are enemies of God and every good thing to the utmost of their power as murderers watching to ruin the church and every member thereof, and by their wicked stratagems to destroy all, and are therefore by their own wickedness adjudged to eternal damnation, daily expecting their horrible torments. Therefore we reject and abhor the error of the Sadducees who deny the existence of spirits and angels, and also that of the Manichees, who assert that the devils have their origin of themselves and that they are wicked of their own nature without having been corrupted. Sounds like they had ancient Chinese yin and yang in those days to deal with as well, didn't they? Notice what the confession is saying. It's saying there are and acknowledges the existence of what we might call demons, devils, evil spirits, fallen angels. They all fall into one category. Don't get caught into the trap that some people would have you. Well, demons are one thing. Fallen angels are another. Evil spirits are another. The Bible knows of only one category, fallen angels. And then it describes them in various states. Generally, it describes them in various states with various names depending upon the activity they are involved in. Not that they are a separate class of fallen angels. So not only with Satan, but there are also these demons. They also were angels. They also join with him. We learn that from several texts of Scripture, that uh, they join with Satan in his rebellion. Uh, the exact number we are not told, although the book of Revelation seems to allude to about a third of those angels that God created fall with Satan. But that might be applying too much uh, as, as percentage-wise uh, to what God is intending in that passage in Revelation. But, but it is saying there, is, there, there was a segment, and a sizable segment, of angels who, who agree with Satan's desire 
that he should be in the place of God. Perhaps they too desired to have a higher place in God's universe and in God's plan. What the Bible does tell us is that they continue to work. Ephesians 6 verse 2. Our struggle is not with flesh and blood, Paul says. Our struggle is against principalities and powers of this present evil age. He's referring to the demonic world. He's referring to these fallen angels. He's referring to their leader, Satan. That is our struggle. Our struggle is never against human beings. Paul never looks at a human being and says, that person. It's the fact that he sees them as instruments being used by demonic forces. And that we have to acknowledge. That is what scripture teaches us. But we also have to acknowledge then that they too, like Satan, are limited. These are not creatures that can do whatever they want. And, And we have to be careful that we don't enter into the fancy filth. That we don't enter into the, the fiction element that, that creates gargoyles that do all sorts of uh, superhuman feats of some sort. We have to remember that these are fallen creatures limited in their power by God. But having said that, we also are warned over and over and over again in Scripture not to step into that territory. It's like your child, perhaps, that you have, and you have a neighbor who has one of these ferocious dogs, and, you know, every time you go by it, the thing's just going nuts, it's going crazy, and, you know, saliva's coming down, and it, it just looks like it just wants to tear into your leg and leave nothing but bone. You say to your child who is afraid, you say to them, they're cowering in fear, you say, don't worry, the dog cannot hurt you unless you go within their circle. Unless you go within their domain. Unless you go into that patch of ground you see that's bare where they've just been tracking back and forth. You go in there and yes, you have something to worry about. Now that's what we say to our children. Humanly though, we know, right? The chain can break. (laughs) But God's chain doesn't break. The leash that God has upon Satan and upon these demonic forces will not break. God is holding them at bay. But he says to us, don't venture into their territory. And so there's all sorts of things that we need to avoid and stay away from. Things that get us involved in in their domain, in their world, in the dark world. And so we as Christians, you know, know, we we look at, oh, you know, it's ghost and goblin time. Ha, 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 ha. And God says, really? Are you serious? Do you realize what demons are capable of doing? Do you really want to tell your children and teach your children that the demonic world is nothing but fun and games? Do you want to teach your children that the demonic world is all fake, it's not real? Or do you want to still in your children stay away 
from that world. Avoid that element. Respect it. Respect it. Because it is an element of great power, of great strength. The problem in Luther's day is they saw no change. The problem in Luther's day is the fact that they saw no God in control. Well, of course not. Their Christ is hanging dead on a cross. What can he do? But you see, you and I in the Reformation and Luther uncover the glorious truth of a Christ who rules, of a Christ who reigns, of a Christ who is in charge, of a Christ who is risen from the dead, of the Christ who is the Lord, the King, the one who controls even the demonic forces of this world. And so this world with devils to filled should threaten to undo us. We do not fear. For God has willed His truth to triumph through us. His truth, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, through Christ, you see. James chapter 2 verse 19 tells us that demons shudder at the knowledge of God. Demons shudder at simply the knowledge that God exists. Because they know that God does exist. They know that He created them. They know that they are accountable to Him. And they know that someday they too shall face the judgment of God. A torment, even as the Belgic Confession says, that could come upon them at any day. They shudder. They live in fear. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. I saw Satan himself. What do you suppose the demons did? They run. They hide. Lord, Lord, we don't want anything to do with you. Lord, get away from us. They shudder. See, we need the right perspective. We need the right balance. We need to understand who they are. But we do not need to live in abject fear. So, Mom, Dad, I, I don't want to go out of my house. There's that dog a mile away, and that dog might get me. And we say to our child, no, no. You and I sometimes, we, we don't want to venture into the world to bring the good news of the gospel because the world may get us. God says, no, no, no. I've got them at bay. I'm holding them. In fact, when you go out with the name of Christ, they shudder. They shudder. Because they know that their end is coming. Father, thank you for your word. We live in a day and age, Father, not really like Luther's. We live kind of in the opposite age in which people think that devils and demons are either Something fake, some fairy tale, something we don't really need to deal with, something we don't need to take serious. Oh, it's just a laughable old thing from the Bible. 
or they laugh it off and pretend it's unimportant. They fail to see the seriousness of Satan's fall, of his power, of his strength that remains. They fail to see the reality of the demon forces of this world. And yet you tell us to go out and to destroy every argument, every philosophy that holds not to Christ. And we can do so because you fill us with your spirit. And you enable us to live and to preach Christ at which the demons shudder. Father, help us not to fear, but help us to respect. Help us not to live in terror, but help us to hold at arm's length an evil world that threatens to undo. But let us remember always the victory of Christ, in whose name we pray. And God's people say, Amen.